Hey everyone, before we begin, we wanted to let you know that the Fieldmaster podcast is brought to you by Sportsman's Pride Professional Dog Food. If you want to experience the Sportsman's Pride difference in your dog, you can visit sportsmanspride.com and click shop now or click the link in the show notes. Use code FIELDMASTER to save 10% off of your first purchase. Now let's start the episode. Call the dogs in because you're listening to the Fieldmaster podcast. All right, everyone. Welcome back to episode number two of the Fieldmaster podcast. We finally made it. That's right. Woo. We got through the introduction episode and we're here. We have video now, so we're we're pretty much a we're a real deal podcast now. Eight K, twelve K. Man, we're just any resolution you want. Any Ks you want. <laughs> we'll we'll put it in there. K nine. K K nine. Oh, um, oh yeah. that was good. That was good. Well, hey, before we get started, uh, I just want to thank everyone who listened to the first episode. We got it out there, had a lot of great feedback, um, including getting video. So um, we're super excited to be streaming uh, on YouTube now for the episodes, um, and we are uh, going to get started. All right, so our first guest that we've had on the podcast, dear friend of mine, first time uh, friend of the podcast, we're going to have him back. He doesn't know it yet, but he's already agreed to it. Drew Abel. Welcome, Drew. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. So Drew and I know each other. We've known each other for a little bit now. And uh, I'll tell this. I'll tell a fun fact story. Moving to Huntsville, because I have a degree in uh, fisheries and aquaculture. Moving to Huntsville, I wanted a job in kind of the the outdoor you know world. That's what I was doing in the past. And... Um, I applied for a job as a wildlife biologist in the state and found out that they weren't accepting any in this area because it was already filled by Mr. Drew Abel. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way, you to the punch. in a way, Drew is the reason why I'm here <laughs> <laughs> and not being interviewed. I think it worked out. For I the like best. Drew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I think it worked. <laughs> I think it worked out for for the best. It so, worked out better. So I'm going to go ahead and give the the introduction. So Drew Abel is a wildlife biologist for the state of Alabama in the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries Wildlife section. Did I get that right? You got that right. That's a mouthful, but you did it. Man, I'm <laughs> telling you what, your business card must be like as uh, long as this table. Wait till you hear my email address. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drew's also an avid turkey hunter, outdoorsman, father, husband, and more. So uh, Drew, once again, thank you for, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, kind of want to talk to you about your background a little bit. Yep. So um, you know, how did you know that you wanted to be a wildlife biologist? Was it kind of like you just one day said, hey, I love being in the outdoors. I don't ever see myself at a desk job. And you're like, I just want to be outdoors all day. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Like growing up, I loved to hunt and fish and everything and just be outside. And um, as, you know, senior year comes in high school, I really like was not sure at all what I wanted to do. So I just took some time and like, really just interviewed different people that I thought were successful around the area that I knew yep. and, uh, or that my parents knew. And, uh, they all kind of told me the same thing, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And right. so I'm like, okay, what do I really love to do? And I was be outside and hunt and fish. And so how can I kind of turn that into a job? And 
you know, kind of start going from there. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of had this similar story with a background in fisheries where I was, I grew up in Florida. I, I mean, I would literally skip class to go fish and I did the same thing all through college and that explains a lot about my college career. But, uh, so anyways, <laughs> it kind of was the same thing. Um, did you, where did you go to school? Uh, Mississippi state. Mississippi state. Yep. All right. Hail state. We, well, we don't really have to get into that here, but uh, <laughs> that's dangerous territory. That's, that's dangerous territory. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. That's you know what? It's okay. Um, so, do you feel like going through uh, school really prepared you for being a wildlife biologist, or did you kind of find that once you got into it, you learned a lot more? Uh, I think I think both. It was probably fifty fifty. So yeah. like. Growing up, my parents have a family farm. I worked on the farm on weekends and things like that. And the farm was strictly managed for wildlife, not cattle farm or anything like that. Um, so I obviously learned a lot there and then got the opportunity to do a couple internships in college for some timber companies. They really taught me a lot about how to manage timber for wildlife and timber production. Um, and then after college, graduated, go to the state of Kansas, worked out there for a couple months on a, on a waterfowl area out there. And um, I would say kind of all, I mean, I, I, you know, you learn your plant ID in college and that, that plays a huge role when you're in the field, understanding what plants you're looking at and that, you know, hey, I want this plant or don't want this plant because it may or not be beneficial. Um, so, you know, that's something I really learned in college that really, you know, I, I didn't know before then or after then. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Now, your your parents, they'll own the farm. Yes. And that's up in Tennessee. Yep, that's correct. Right. Because I know usually when I talk to you throughout the week, if you're not at work, you're usually at the farm. Yep. Yeah. And If my wife will let me go. Yeah, if she'll let you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and tell me, because I know um, you've got two little ones. Yeah. So what's it like kind of, you know, you, you started out managing this land mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, growing up you know, on that farm with like your parents and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be kind of like a surreal, surreal moment to have your kids out on the land, like you used to manage and and everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. That was really the place that I first learned about wildlife management and manipulating habitat or timber or anything like that, um, for wildlife. And that's where I fell in love with it at. And so now I obviously still get to do that and get to introduce that to my son um, and then a couple of years, my daughter, when she's old enough, but like this past weekend, we got to take Lincoln on his very first deer hunt Yeah, and it was me and Lincoln and my dad. So it's kind of three generations, you know, we yeah. all got to sit in the shooting house together and see the big smile. And we got to, luckily me and my dad both got to shoot a deer. There we go. And, uh, so he got his first taste and he's already like, when are we going back? Yeah. You know? And so now it's the, it's the perspective of, okay, what can I do now? So 15 years from now, he's set up on this place you know, for it to be the most beneficial that right. it can be. Right. So it's, it's very interesting. It gives you a totally different perspective and mindset uh, when you're outside working and doing yeah. that stuff. So I know for me, at least when uh, I harvested my first uh, animal, it was a hog down in Florida. Yeah. And we had the, the ritual where, you know, when you're quartering up a hog and stuff, you got to reach down in there and you just smear your face yep. with blood yep. did lincoln get the same thing nope because he didn't kill it himself oh man no nope. but when he kills one himself yeah he will get the ritual i mean they, <laughs> a lot of people are kind of like why would you do something like that i don't yeah. know it's just something that i think yeah kind of every yeah. every hunter welcome to the family that's it that's it that's good <laughs>
What 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 all kind of animals did you guys have down there uh, to, to conserve or manage? Yeah, yeah. So we do um, really most of our management is for deer and turkey. But we also have a small dove field that we manage on the property as well. So we'll do it in like sunflowers or millet or something like that. Nice. Yeah. Are you from Alabama? Yeah, or? born and raised in okay, Huntsville. Okay. That's why I didn't know if you were... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I haven't met many people that are actually from Huntsville. <laughs> no. That's that is rare. No, everybody, yeah. it seems like everybody's here is a transplant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're like maybe like the fifth person that's actually from here yeah. that I've met. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Sam, Sam moved here. It was June, right? Oh, really? I, moved, I moved here in May. I, I started here in June, but okay. um, I, I moved from Houston. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Big so difference. this is like a, yeah, it's a big difference. A whole nother ball game for <laughs> yeah. her. We are talking about the cold snap that's coming this week, and she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've asked like 17 <laughs> yeah. questions. Like, like, I'm used to the whole city shutting down if it gets like, it's like, oh, I'm, like I already know my family back in town. Like they're already getting ready to work from home. Like the whole city shuts down because yeah. no one knows how to drive in the cold. I mean, I don't. So if it snows, my fiance is going to drive me to work because <laughs> I will wreck 100%. Yeah. It's amazing because it's only about a half a state, you know, north. Yeah. Right. right. Where it's not, not that far. Yeah. yeah. North. yeah. Well, it's yeah. like in Dallas, it'll snow. But yeah. in Houston. Well, so even in Huntsville, wow. it's, it's so strange, the snow, like way it accumulates here. Because I live on the other side of the mountain where we are and the snow or the mountain will be covered in snow but then like down here in like mm -hmm. downtown and stuff there could be no snow no but it looks like a winter wonderland up yeah, on that's Montana. true definitely you have to take the it's, drone up there just it, to see how it looks yeah, oh, for yeah. Real. For well real. and then like the past couple of years you know like birmingham's gotten a lot of snow and huntsville has it you yeah and they're south of us as well yeah. what? i know oh, i didn't know that it's yeah. really strange i think this is um i know at least for florida it'll be the coldest day since like 1980 something on Christmas Day, wow! And so I know I th I think it's something with Huntsville as well. It's going to be like the I can't thing. wait because I know every Christmas that I've been in Huntsville, you could go outside in shorts and have yep. a picnic. Yeah, yep. yep. And it it's it's kind of nice, but it's kind of sad too. I don't think I've <laughs> yeah. ever had like a yeah. true cold Christmas yeah. before. Well, this is like an unusual cold Christmas. Yeah. yeah, this is not I. Don't get I, used uh, to this. It might it be uncomfortable. I, yeah. I will not get used to it. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're not going to be throwing the football this week. Too <laughs> far along in uh, in Drew's questions. I, I kind of want to back up and go through what that giant long title means in each one of those pieces. Oh, so that people understand what what is a, a wildlife biologist and what what is it that uh, natural resources, wildlife, freshwater fisheries, like all each of those components, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. So under under Department of Conservation Natural Resources, DCNR is what we refer to that as. Um, you've got wildlife and freshwater fisheries. Um, okay. And then you also got like state lands. So like our state parks, like Oak Mountain State Park would be under that that category there. Um, but within within wildlife and freshwater fisheries, you've got three different sections. You've got wildlife section, fisheries section, and enforcement section. So that would be like your game wardens would be under enforcement. Fisheries will be your fisheries biologists, take care of our state lakes, um, Tennessee Valley River, things like that. And then obviously wildlife section, which would be WMAs, um, and then uh, some other little properties, SOAs that we have. Okay. So that's kind of that. As far as like what I do um, on a daily basis or what a wildlife biologist does, I would say that we have different biologists that do different things. Um, it depends on kind of the area that you're on um, and the objectives that that area has. Um, so, like, for me, I'm on a waterfowl area, and 
my main objective is waterfowl and then after that small game whereas we've got other areas that are managed for deer and turkey um now we do offer a deer season on my area but our bread and butter is waterfowl yeah okay. yeah so and then we can get into like day-to-day job duties and stuff like that if we want to yeah that's up to y'all well i mean i would like to hear it because coming from someone who has that type of background i mean when i came out of school i thought i was going to be doing one thing yeah and it looked completely different and I know um, just talking to you in the past, you know, a, a lot of it sounds like um, there's a there's a time and a place definitely for being out in the field and things like that. But you're having to enter in like a lot of numbers, a lot of data to track populations and everything like that. So do you think you could kind of talk about what that looks like a little yeah. bit? Yeah, for sure. So I'll just kind of go over day to day. So like uh, my day to day is different, but I would say it's more seasonal than anything. So like spring and summertime, I'm in the field a lot on a tractor, um, on a sprayer, bulldozer, backhoe, trackhoe, some type of heavy machinery, manipulating habitat, um, improving that habitat, mainly for waterfowl. Um, and after that, we go into the fall. So like then we're starting to prep the land for hunters getting there, making sure all of our parking areas you know, are up to date. All of our signs on the management area are good. You can drive here, but not here. All of our gates are opened when they need to be opened. Um, our kiosks. So we have self-service kiosks that people could come up and get maps at or daily use cards or things like that. So if you're going to hunt on the management area, you have to pull out a daily use card and fill it out every single day that you hunt. Mm. Um, and then in the wintertime, and kind of early spring is that season where I'm in the office a lot. You know, there's, it's kind of wet usually, so there's not a whole lot that we can do as far as manipulating habitat goes. So I kind of um, kind of save those days for office days. And then I enter that data, like like you were talking about, Colton, um, those, those daily use cards. So, like, I have to go in and, like, manually look at this card and say, okay, this card's for one person, and they hunted four hours, and they hunted rabbits, and they killed two rabbits. And I wow. input that into Excel. So that takes a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, and then... Um, but it's got to be vital for understanding yeah. what's coming off and going on the land. Yeah. yeah. And so there's also... You can also do it on your app, which is... I always tell people to do that on our app because it's like, I don't have to enter any <laughs> of that data. Yeah, it makes yeah. your yeah. job a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, could just, you just like, you know, yeah. enter it in? Just a yeah. giant QR code instead yeah. of yeah. Uh, yeah. the sign-up box. Yeah. But from that, what we do is we can kind of look at different trends through the years. So like... Mm-hmm. You know, and we just started this app and taking all this data like five years ago. We do have some data that was just manually recorded by talking to hunters from years past. And so we can kind of look at some of that stuff and compare, but still in an instance, it's apples and oranges, you know, looking at it. Um, but we look at, okay, you know, 12 years ago, the area averaged killing 8,000 ducks a year. And now we're averaging 6,000 ducks a year mm-hmm. over the last five years. So what's the difference you know, is it habitat? Is it is it something greater on a nationwide scale that's causing migration, you know, differences and things like that? Or is it like a localized population that we're looking at? So, so we, we can look at trends. With like waterfowl, because yeah. I noticed like in the past, I guess like decade, like just driving wise, like mm-hmm. when you take a road trip, you're used to like insects hitting your windshield and stuff. But I've noticed like in the past like five years, it's been like I can drive to Florida and I won't have like anything on my windshield. So it's like, is the insect population like messing with like the waterfowl or anything? Um, probably not so much as in waterfowl, uh, maybe within like your localized like turkey populations. Okay. Main reason for that is like waterfowl, they do eat some insects, but that's not their main source of uh-huh. food. Yeah. So yeah, a lot, um, mainly what's going to impact 
waterfowl is going to be um, in what they call the breeding crowns, which is like Canada, South Dakota, North Dakota, mm-hmm. the northern part of the U.S., into Canada. That's where all the ducks would go every year to breed. If it's really dry, if habitat conditions up there are not good, that's going to be what drives okay. populations, okay. R- really, within yeah. waterfowl. That makes yeah, sense. I, I want to talk about this a little bit um, in, a, in a minute because I've heard a bunch of stories coming from friends that go to Arkansas to yeah. hunt and things like that right now. But one of the things that I want to touch on is, is the area that you do manage. So mm-hmm. it's, it's Swan Creek WMA. Yep. yep. Um, and Swan Creek, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's unique as because it's the only WMA in the state that allows you to install waterfowl, waterfowl blinds for the entire season. That's correct. So why, why is it that you can do that at, at Swan Creek, but not the other WMA? That's a great question, man. I don't really know, honestly. Okay. Um, <laughs> I thought it was like, uh, like I prepared old... it, so like, thanks yeah. for throwing yeah. me that. And he's like, no, I don't know. Yeah. Like, that was just something we let them do, and now you let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they've kind of always let them do it. Now we okay. manage it a little bit, and uh, and through the years, it's, we've, we've thrown in more and more rules and regulations and managed yeah. it a lot more um, as, as waterfowling has become more popular. Right. Um, but... That's the reason why they do it on this WMA. I'm not really sure. I wonder if it's kind of like a legacy thing. It it always was done that way, and so they just have kept it because yeah. it's right on. Um, it's right across the river from Decatur. Yep, and so it's right on the river there. Yep. Um. So you know, how many how many acres is it total? Yeah. So Swan Creek's eight thousand eight hundred seventy four. I think it's crazy because you don't think about how big it is, right? Especially when you're going over the river into Decatur. Yeah. I mean, it's. I only know it because Justin talking with you, the right side of the train tracks. Yep. Is and then just keep going. Yep. And, and just it, keep going. And it's massive. Yeah. And you've got uh it's really unique because it does, it butts right up against the river and, yeah. and things like that. So what kind of challenges um do you face with it being, you know, mainly a right on the banks of the river, I guess. Yeah. And, and kind of talk to me about how, you know, how does the the selection process where you can install a blind and things like that, especially if you get to keep it there all season. Right. I mean, that's, that's I mean, that sounds like a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll kind of give you like a little history of the area yeah. and then we'll go into the blind stuff. So the area is owned by TVA. So we lease the lands. Our department has oh, a long-term okay. lease agreement on the property. I think got we've it. got like 23 years left on the lease agreement, 22 years, something like that. They usually do it in 30 year increments. Um, and so, on the area, on the on Swan Creek, we have what they call a dewatering unit. So a dewatering unit is a levied area right on the edge of the river that we can flood when we want to and drain it when we want to, to an extent. Um, with inside that dewatering unit, it encaptures about 1,200 acres. Once it's all fully flooded at full capacity, we're looking at 1,200 acres of habitat. So it's a lot. It's pretty big. Yeah, so you got roughly... I think 7,000 acres then that aren't part of that. Correct. Yeah. It's, it, it's a shooting range over yeah, there, right? Yeah, yeah. we've got a shooting yeah. range on the yeah. WMA and everything. And um, so within that dewatering unit, we allow 50 blind spots. Okay? okay, now the dewatering unit, originally TVA created it for mosquito control. Oh, um, so they were going to flood it and then treat it, you know, and kill all the larvae and all that stuff. Well, they quickly realized in the grand scheme of things, we're not making an impact. So then they said, hey, this is kind of a waste of money, so we'll turn around and lease it to the state, and they'll offer some public hunting opportunities. So that's how we got a hold of the property. Right. Um, okay, but then we go into the dewatering unit. That's the area that we've got all of our blinds. So used to, anybody that brought a blind to the management area 
could put it in the dewatering unit as long as it was 150 yards from another blind. So some years you might have 30 blinds that got hunted and put in, and the other years you might have 100. Right. It was literally just, wow. you know, depending upon who wanted to come and who didn't. Exactly. And how that worked, you brought your blind down there on a trailer, everybody put their name in a hat for a drawing, and then when your name got drawn, they handed you a flag, and you drive your truck and your trailer out into the field, and you put your flag up. And then you set your blind off the trailer right there, and then they come and make sure nobody's within 150 yards of you. And if there is, and you got to move, or they got to move, depending upon who was there second. Yeah. Um, and then, so they call that the flag days. Okay. So from there, we go into a 50 blind only drawing. You bring your blind down there. It's kind of the same thing. We have our drawing, but at that point, um, you have a predetermined spot that you got drawn for. So if your name got pulled first and you got to pick one through 50, okay? And then they went down the line till all 50 spots were full. Yeah. Now we've knocked it back to 30 blind spots, okay? And we have an online drawing. So you can put in online on our website. Um, you do have to have all of your hunting licenses and duck stamps, and you have to be fully licensed and be able to go hunt that right. day to enter the drawing. Um, but now once you get pulled, you don't get to pick. You get spot. If you get pulled number three, you get spot number three. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so if you or if you get spot number twenty nine, if you get drawn twenty ninth, then you get spot number twenty nine. Got it. Okay, and then you get to go and you you get to put your blind out there on that spot for the year. Um, all of these blinds have to be floating blinds, um, and we kind of you know we leave it up to you as far as how they look, how many people they hold, things like that. But we say, hey, number one, they got to be fully brushed with natural vegetation that comes from off the area, so you can't cut oak trees down on the area or anything like that to camouflage it with. Mm. Um, it has to have a compartment that you get out of your boat and hunt in. So it has to have a hunting compartment. Mm -hmm. It has to have styrofoam floats on it. Um, and the styrofoam has to be completely wrapped to keep muskrats and beavers and things like that out so that the blind doesn't, they'll get in there and, you know, yeah, tunnel holes in it, it and then right. sink it, you know, and it could be dangerous. Um, and like you were saying, Colton, that's your spot for the year. Okay. Now, you've got right to that spot up until 30 minutes before shooting time every day. So let's say Colton gets drawn for a spot, and you're like, eh, I don't want to go out there and hunt today. Mm -hmm. I've got my boss called me, and i got to go to work. Sounds and, about right. Yeah. 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 You know? I've tried it once or twice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that happens. Well, let's say I'm going to go out there and hunt, and I don't have a blind location. So I can go out there, and then I see that your blind is not occupied. I can pull right up next to it. And I can sit there next to your blind and I can hunt. Or if you leave your blind unlocked, I can get in your blind and I can hunt. Man, I, I would imagine that's got to cause some tension. <laughs> Man, surprisingly, it does not. Okay. Well, I mean, how nice. would they know? Yeah. yeah. I well, I, I mean, I can imagine that what I'm picturing in my mind is like, you know, let's say uh, Sam and I were competing hunters, I guess. And, right. I, and I had a blind out there. And Sam knew what my blind was. Well, she knows I'm not going to be there Tuesday morning. Sabotage. I, yeah. Go in <laughs> and, and, you know, hunt my blind. It's like, well, I, I paid for that blind. Right. And now, you know, I'm I'm essentially putting up a blind 
for other people to use as well. But you're saying that's not really the case. Yeah, that's not really the case. Okay, that's good. And the reason is most of our hunters out there um, have hunted it for a while. They've hunted right. the area for a while. Right. And they're extremely respectful. That's good. Um, and let's say that you, um, you know, you don't show up, but your your boss lets you off at 12 o'clock and you can have an afternoon hunt, right? So you, you, you come out there. <laughs> you, I like you might want to make sure you write that down. <laughs> <laughs> I have to explain theoretical for you. <laughs> but, um, and so a hunter comes out there, you're going to go out there at 12 o'clock, right? And you get up to your blind spot and there's somebody in it or somebody hunting next to it. Most of our guys that hunt out there will be like, oh man, it's no big deal. I know you put in the time and effort and money to, to get this spot here. Right. I'll just get up and move. That's they're good. they're extremely yeah. respectful. Now, that's every good. now and then, you know what I mean? You're going to have that one guy that doesn't right. do that. Right. Um, but that's going to be the case with anything. Okay. Yeah. So it's a nice, com- that's a community thing. Yeah. yeah. Everybody understands yeah. type yeah. of thing. It's not, like, it's not like someone's going to go out there and plan to go sit in someone else's blind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about this duck season. Yeah. Because we're currently in duck season. Yep. And I've heard, and I haven't gone duck hunting yet this year, hoping to go, but. Um, I've heard this season's a little unique and I've heard it's because of a multitude of reasons. And I want to know from a, a wildlife, a wildlife biologist standpoint, is, is, are you seeing the same thing? So one of the things that I've heard is, um, I've got some friends who have gone up to Arkansas mm-hmm. and we've got some ambassadors who have gone up to Arkansas and they're like, man, we're just not seeing any birds. And it's because of the cold weather patterns that we're getting. It's, it's not really staying warmer like it it should be this time of year. And so the ducks really aren't mar- migrating uh, south as much. Are you kind of seeing the same thing? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, so so North Alabama doesn't get the number of birds that it used to get, okay? And this, right. this is going to be a historical trend for several different reasons, right? When you look at like a bird or any type of animal for that matter, um, in my opinion, they all what they call imprint on an area, right? Yep. So with ducks, obviously they migrate. So they start in Canada and go all the way to Louisiana. Heck, some go to South America and um, they'll go a long ways. They're going to move based upon the day, the, the daylight, how long the day is. Okay. Yep. And then they're going to ba- move based upon weather conditions and habitat conditions. Um, so if the weather's not getting cold, most ducks aren't going to travel farther right. south, right? So they've got habitat, they've got food where they're at and they've got decently warm weather, they're not going to leave. Yeah. Right? So historically through the years, as we've kind of seen these warmer trends the last 15 years, we don't get as many ducks. So when we don't get as many ducks, that's not the same number of birds imprinting on our habitat here in North Alabama. So that's going to start to decrease little by little by little by little every single year. Right. And then 15 years, 20 years down the road, you look and it's like, oh, man. You know, instead of getting 100,000 ducks, we're getting 50,000 ducks. Yeah. Right. It's an exponential yeah. type of thing. Yeah. You know, and it has to do with a whole lot of different things. Um, farming practices have changed a whole lot. Um, so that plays into it because right. a lot of farmers now are no-tilling. Um, so so no-till farming practices leave a lot of crops and food out on the ground. So if that food doesn't get covered up by snow, those ducks aren't going to leave. Right. What is, what is no-tilling? So no-till farming. So so used to farmers, when they would plant a crop, they would harvest it. And then after it was harvested, they would go in and then they would till the land up. They, okay. would, they would disc everything under, right? Okay. So all that corn that was left, those ears of corn that did not get harvested by the, by the harvester, mm-hmm. by the corn picker, would just get left on the ground. And then they'd bring the disc. And then once they disced it up, it was back in the ground. So a duck couldn't utilize it. Okay. So they would have to travel. 
Well, now with no-till farming, they're not disking the ground as much. So all that corn stays out there year-round, so the duck can utilize it year-round. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so that's been a huge shift in farming practices and creating a lot more habitat. So the only way to get that food gone, gone per se, is to cover it up by something. Well, what's the only thing that really covers it up would be snow. Right. We're not seeing as much of that. Right. So if it doesn't snow, if it just gets cold, if it just gets 20 degrees or 10 degrees for that matter, yeah, all the water will freeze up, but they'll just go out on the dry ground and feed. Yeah. So that's played a big, a big role, in I, I believe, in us not having as many birds. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, I've heard from friends and our ambassadors. I mean, they we have one that he – I talked to him yesterday, and I said, how are you doing? He's in Arkansas right now, and he's like, man, we're just not seeing anything. And he attributes it to um, just the the weather, and a, a lot of it has to do with um, the rain as well. Like yeah. we went to um, Gamekeeper Kennels the mm-hmm. other day to talk to Bill Gibson, and he was saying the same thing. And he was like, well, "We just don't have any rain." Yeah. And you know, you want with a duck hole right. and stuff, you want that water because you want them to come in and rest and things like that. Yeah. They they just don't have rain. They just yeah. that's one. Of, and I I noticed kind of in the south here. I mean, at the time of this recording, we're about to get a cold snap, and the wind chills are going to be in the negatives for North Alabama, and that hasn't happened in 30-something years. And so I almost wonder, you know, how how much of the the climate change and stuff like that that's coming down from the north and things like that is playing into it. Um, but it sounds like, you know, also the, the farming practices and things like that are, are a big portion of it. Yeah, too. definitely a huge portion. That's interesting that, interesting that you're talking about the drought and the dry weather this year yeah. because um, you're exactly right. When, when ducks get down here, they want to utilize areas that have water. Um, and if you don't have that water, they're not going to utilize it. They're going to keep going. And so the, be- the beginning of the year for us on the management area, we were like the only people that really had water. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that's the advantage of going to yeah. a uh, management area is that you've, you're flooding it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you got you're 1,200 acres on that you can flood. The, yeah. the rain. Right. Right. Yeah. right. So so we had water. Nobody else had water. We yep. had decent food this year. Not not the best that we've ever had, but we had decent habitat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and and it was very interesting to me because, like, I've looked at the numbers com- and kind of compared those numbers and species to numbers and species that we've killed in the past, right? So historically, the past five years, we've killed a lot of ringnecks. Well, this year we haven't killed as many ringnecks. We've killed a lot more mallards. And so I'm interested to know, and, and this is one of those things that we'll never know because it's wildlife and there's only so much you'll always understand, yeah. right? Yeah. But I attribute us killing more mallards, mallards this year to being the only ones that had a habitat. Mm. Nobody else had a habitat, right? I right. mean, they come down the Tennessee River, and when we're the only ones that have food and habitat, it's like, okay, that's where we're going to go. Yeah. yeah. So I find that kind of interesting, you know, and that's yeah. kind of something we've seen this year right? that hasn't been historical, you yeah. know, for three or four years, five years now. Yeah, and well, what's interesting, too, is a lot of people don't get this. I mean, I guess they can keep their own log yeah. of what they've killed and stuff like that, and I know there's different apps and stuff out there that you can do it in, but, like, you have – the historical numbers for an entire management area. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see the the correlation of what people are saying out in the field who are hunting every day and who are in different states and things like that, plus what you get historically. Mm-hmm. And so would you say that, you know, right now you're definitely seeing a decrease in the number this year compared to what you have seen historically? Or is it just a different, maybe just it's a different bird, different... No, I would say like the past couple of years, we've actually probably killed more birds this year compared to the last couple. Really? For where we're at okay. in, into the season. Got it. Um, now, but when you compare numbers now 
compared to like the mid 80s, drastically down. Really? And that's been the theme for like the past four, five, six years. Okay. So we just don't get the ducks. So is it kind of uh, cyclical by uh, decades then? Like every we'll see 10 it, years or yeah, 20 I mean, years? That's one of the things. How, how, Often have we been managing ducks and keeping good data, like yeah. good numbers. You right. know what I mean? That wasn't important in the 80s. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, they would do it to an extent, but now we're starting to understand, okay, we need this yep. for future generations to look at. Right. Okay, what did they do in 2010, 2020? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, so really we don't have enough data to go back to see generations to generation. That's kind of my thought is like, hey, you know, um, because like in my dad's day growing up, they were on what they called a point system with ducks. So now we can kill six ducks a day, right? So in the point system, um, like one duck, like a mallard hen, would be worth 90 points. They could only kill 100 points in a day. Oh, okay. Okay, so now we can kill two mallard hens in a day, right? Yeah. So I think it's just cyclical, like you're saying. You know, every 30, 40 years, we're going to have some times where – you know, breeding grounds aren't great and breeding populations tend to go down. And then 15, 20 years later, you know, we hit the other trend of that cycle. You know, we have some really great hatches, really great populations come out of that. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see like the trends throughout the years and stuff and just see like what kind of impacts were happening in that time and around like weather wise and everything. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Another trend to me that's interesting within that is like, hunting and hunting numbers how many people are hunting mm-hmm. oh, and like yeah. because like waterfowling has become so popular the last well everybody calls it you know the duck dynasty days yeah yeah you know and i think they that, you know that was definitely a role in it mm-hmm. and i think that's great because it you know it just brought more people into the port yep yeah. um but we have a lot more people that are waterfowling now compared to what we had 20 years ago yeah so. i think it's it, it's definitely interesting because um obviously we're with uh sportsman's pride and and fieldmaster and stuff we're we're kind of in that outdoors outdoorsman type world and stuff like that and you almost see it become more of there's definitely the hunting and the sport side of it but you see it as like a lifestyle type uh brand as well Mm -hmm. not not necessarily our brands but you see kind of you know, everyone's got to have pictures of their truck bed full of ducks and like you got to have, you know, all the photos and things like that. So it's, it's really interesting. I, I'd be curious the number of, you know, like looking at the two lines of numbers of hunters or number of hunters and then number of ducks killed in the year and stuff as well. Because I, you know, you almost want to look at as there is a decrease. Do we need to do more awareness for getting people into like correlation trends? Yeah. 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 I'm, I don't know. I'm big into numbers. See, that's why I'm like, yeah. I'm like correlation and stats <laughs> I'm and like, everything. I'm like, let's I'm, get some like data that. visualized yeah. and let's, you know. Yeah. I yeah. like charts Anyways. and stuff. Yeah. Just correlation charts and yeah, stuff. It's nice sure. to look at those. And that's why I was like, like the impacts and everything. So for sure. That's cool. Uh, for sure. Uh, Ryan, do you want to say something? Yeah. So I, I was wondering, uh, you were saying that that uh, coming down the, the Tennessee River, uh, this, is the, this is the place to stop would be North Alabama. Are you saying that for this year as well or just kind of in general over the years? Oh, I'm kind of saying it's going to be not a great year for for duck, but would this area be one of the best in our area? Um n- yes, definitely in North Alabama, like all up and down the Tennessee River is going to be the best place, right? Um you get out, you get farther from the river, duck hunting usually gets worse and worse. Um so for North Alabama, we've got one of the best spots, right? But when you look at, like, North Alabama and you compare it to, like, Arkansas, Missouri, no. 
people yeah. aren't going to come here compared, you know what I mean, to Arkansas. And the reason for that is um, the Arkansas Delta is right in the center of the largest flyway of ducks. Okay, we are right on the edge of two flyways. So we're kind of in the in the middle of two flyways. So we're not in a great flyway zone. Yeah, You go east over on the east coast, they've got a pretty decent flyway. They've got different ducks over there than like Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri flyway has. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, those ducks, you know, intermingle too. Um, but for North Alabama, we've got a really good spot. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. And <clears throat> I know we're going to get into dogs uh, here in a second. It's the next point. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we like dogs. That's right. <laughs> uh, but in, in general, uh, with, with the duck population, with uh, uh, hunters going out there, from, from a wildlife management perspective, what, what can hunters do to help ensure that the that the ducks come back, that the uh, place is taken care of, you know, as they're going out on their rituals each year, mm-hmm. is there any best practices they can follow yeah. to, to help with what you do? Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like, like number one, you know, always make sure you're properly licensed because licensing is how we're funded. Um, so our department doesn't get general tax fund money or anything like that. The only way that we're funded is from licensed dollar sales. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah, and then what they call the Pittman-Robertson Act. So and it's an excise tax on all firearms and ammunition. So anytime you go to Cabela's or Larry's or wherever and you buy, you know, a firearm, there's a tax that the federal government takes out of that. Okay, and based upon how many hunting licenses or fishing licenses that the state of Alabama sells, we get so much money from the federal government. Yeah. Okay, so the more licenses that we sell, the more money that we can get because it's a a three-to-one match. So for every $10 that we get— they give us thirty dollars, so we make forty dollars out of that. So it goes a long ways, you yeah, know, it when does. it comes yeah. to managing wildlife and fisheries and habitat and lands and all that. Um, but that's how we're funded. So number one, yeah, just make sure you're properly licensed. Um, it's not that much, you know. I mean, if you're going to go hunt, you're looking well, at like folks that that are avid hunters. You know, they they're generational. They, I mean, they're, yeah. they're doing yeah. it, and they yeah. well, don't if they're having fun with their kids they want to make sure their kids can have fun with their kids out there and that's right right and uh, having the proper license is going to help fund the ability to keep doing that for yeah. generations yeah. Well, yeah. not only that but they've made the licenses i think in my opinion way simpler as well because now you can just get like a sportsman's license or mm-hmm. something like that where it's all game and they have them now where it's like lifetime as well yeah. and you pay 500 bucks really if you i mean 500 bucks even if you're hunting you know, throughout the entire year, that breaks down to a pretty good right. price. Plus, it's a lifetime license. So, yeah. I mean, really, it's like pennies to the dollar if you are that avid into I'm not familiar with what license types are available. There's lifetime? Yeah, there. I think yeah. there is. Yeah. I think there's lifetime, and then they have a I'm year just, long for all game. I'm just yeah. used to going to get a, a fishing license yeah. every year. Yeah. At Walmart and just... Well, yeah, going down or Cabela's or, or Cabela's, where, yeah. yeah, or at the wherever you go to, you go, oh shit, yeah, forgot I needed that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, or on your phone nowadays, yeah, I, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you can do the yeah. uh, Alabama Outdoors yeah. app and get it get it that way. That's how I have all mine. Um, so getting into we this is you know uh, Field Master podcast, so we do yeah. like to talk about dogs a lot. Um, so one of the the comments that I wanted to get your opinion on is, you know, duck season, obviously 
you need a dog to go get that duck. Absolutely. Unless you are just a crazy person. <laughs> a crazy person. You want to walk out there yourself and get it. But I think having a dog, I mean, makes the photos way cooler. Cats anyways. don't work yeah. very well for that. No, I don't think I <laughs> Although I would, I think it would be cool to see a cat go out there. <laughs> it would and do be it. Cool, I think yeah. that would be fun. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd pay to watch that. <laughs> yeah. So is, is being that you manage, you know, the entire WMA, is there a breed of dog that you see out there more and more? Oh, so if there was just one one breed that I saw the most of, it would definitely be a lab. Yeah, Labrador Retriever, number right. one Retriever. Yeah. Um, and I think too, it's going to kind of depend on like the areas that you're hunting. So mm-hmm. like my area, the the water depth um, changes a lot, it varies across the unit. So, um, you know, we may be looking at some areas where a blind location is, it's 12, 14 foot deep, and then other areas, you know, might only be a couple inches deep. So if you're in a really deep area you know you might want to have a bigger dog that's stronger you know that's swimming through some brush and things like that whereas um you know if you're in a shallower area you know like a boykin spaniel might be a really good dog to have Mm -hmm. um which the boykin breed has really picked up the last 10 years we've seen a lot more boykins i mean there's a lot of interest in them i think they're great dogs they they do a really good job um they're smart but that would be the one that i've seen a lot of that's up and coming yeah. Now, as far as like talking about dogs and stuff, if there's one that's underrated for hunting, it's going to be the golden retriever. Oh yeah, golden retriever's a pet, right? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a house dog. Now, some of the some of the golden's that I've gotten the opportunity to hunt with, by far some of the best dogs. Yeah, some of the smartest dogs. Well, you so, know, another, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, another one that um, I have seen more and more people use is a, a doodle. Yes. And it blows my mind. And you know, you want to know where I think that started? With Cy Robinson. Do you remember that duck dog? <laughs> oh, yeah. It started even before yeah. that because the doodle is just taking the aspects from a standard poodle. So it's yeah. like, why not take the standard poodle That's out it. Yeah. there? Yeah. You're just doing a doodle so you don't say you have a poodle. <laughs> you know what? I think we should. <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's true. That's right. I think, I think we should do an episode and we compare all of them, but we do like the really out there episodes like how would a beagle fare how would a dachshund do right. how would a dachshund yeah. do yeah, yeah yeah jack russell terry i know i know my wife gina if there was a dachshund out there she would be hunting every single day she just loves loves them huh? to your point about uh golden is is that uh, you know, a, a great hunting dog can also be a fantastic family dog yeah oh yeah and and uh most of the folks that we work with uh and and just an example have been scattergun lodge in uh north dakota and pierre mm-hmm. um their dogs are off season are in the house with kids and families yeah. and then on season they're bloodthirsty you know savages yep. and yep. they're getting loyal them through and through yeah <laughs> and uh, and that's just they they say that's a, the best life for a dog is yeah. is to yeah. be just 100% on and then be with family well it's funny i've got a buddy uh graham who he has a spaniel okay and and he pitches in the in the majors but during uh hunting season that dog is on 24 7 i mean he's begging at the door to go out hunting yeah and then you've got the uh when he's out pitching it's it's just his wife's you know dog at home and it's like the best of both worlds but what i was gonna say you know talking about um scattergun and stuff up there it's funny some of the other ambassadors that we have they train um a lot of retrievers and and uh short hair pointers and things like that and they have these giant dogs and stuff. And then you walk into their house, and they've got like little, oh, they yeah, little dogs, do or dogs or they've got smaller dogs. Always have dogs. a little little lap dog. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, it's yeah. so funny because he'll be like, oh, 
sick of this dog and he's just petting it. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's, it's funny. One of the things though, um, I kind of want to get your opinion on is because you have dogs as well. Yeah. Um, we, we just went and saw Bill Gibson and the popularity of what was it, Sam? The British retrievers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those are growing in popularity too. English lab. Yeah. Yeah. They're a lot shorter in the leg and stuff, but they almost have the full body of a, a lab. Right. Do you see more and more, um, uh, British labs coming in, or is it still a lot of American labs? No, a lot of British dogs now. Yeah. Um, and you got to think, like on my management area, you know, most blinds that you hunt, you're going to have to have a boat. Right. Okay. And then by the time you get two or three guys in a boat, they've got all their guns, they've got all their shells or decoys, all that stuff, you know, it's pretty weighed down. Mm-hmm. Right. So most of these guys are looking at, okay, what can I do to get a smaller dog? Yeah. I want a dog that's still going to be really good, but I don't want the weight. You know, most American dogs are 80 to 100 pounds, whereas oh, yeah. most English dogs, I'd probably say, like 50 to 70. Yeah. Um, and so, or British, whatever you want to call them. And so, yeah, I definitely see that trend going that direction. They want something smaller, more compact, but still has, you know, the same amount of muscle, per se. Yeah, they're yeah. still fast. They're, they take they're off. Quick, they take off. Yeah. I saw them run. They take off real quick. Well, and I think that's what um, they were kind of realizing out at GameKeeper is they're like, you know, hey, a lot of people want these dogs. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not necessarily just because it's the Mossy Oak brand and things like that, but, you know, it's this style of dog that's short in the leg but it's still got speed and it still has that retriever ability yeah um so it's interesting to see that like that's already kind of taken place out in the in you know actually in the field too yeah so that's that's awesome yeah the boykins man they're like taking off exponentially it seems like since like everybody is. wants the boykin because yep. they're smaller than than the british dog mm-hmm. right i mean you're looking at probably the largest one being around 50 pounds average 30 to 40 yep and so they make extremely good pets. Like yeah. that's the one thing about a Boykin is they're so loyal dogs. Yeah. And uh, you know, really good around kids and things like that. So to me, that's one of the reasons that they've taken off so much. They're even smaller than that British, you know, line, but they're still really good family dogs, like you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. You know, yeah. they hunt, 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 and then boom, they're inside yeah. loafing. You know, <laughs> eating loafing, some pizza, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. laying on the couch. My, my buddy uh, Graham has a a rule with his his spaniel that if uh, if they're out hunting and he misses one, he gets a piece of spam. <laughs> and I think that's cool to have like some kind of ritual with yeah. like your dog yeah. and stuff. I don't know that we should. I'm connect. sure the dog appreciates it. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the dog just secretly starts hoping that. Right. Yes, yeah. Like, miss, miss, I got it. I, I agree with that because even when you're out pheasant hunting and you and you miss and yeah. you got to call your dog back, no bird. Yeah. <laughs> no bird. It's the saddest thing. They're just right. powering yeah. on the way. Right. They're, they're yeah, booking yeah. it and they're like, nope, no, right. no, come on back. Sorry. We, you're we, like, dang, you, you just ruined their whole day. We've got an ambassador. uh Brandon uh, Thompson down in Florida, and uh, he's he's got a, a lab named Odie, and he sent me a video the other day, and it was like six in the morning or something, and I was like, what is he doing? He sent me a video. He woke up late to go hunting, and his dog was pouting at the front door <laughs> because they thought they were going. They loaded everything up the night before, and the yeah. dog was all ready to go. Aww. It was just pouting. They know. Poor mm. kid. Oh, yeah. I know. That's they what do. I'm saying. It's like Christmas morning. He's waiting. He's like, get exactly. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just starts pouncing on right. you. Know, bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, so did we talk about what, what kind of dogs you have? Yeah, so we've got Tell we've got American dogs and Boykins. Mm-hmm. So my wife is allergic to dogs, so we don't have any at our house. Okay. Um, but my dad, he's a vet and um, loves to breed and raise dogs. And so through the years, we've had like Jack Russell Terriers. We've had 
um, English pointers, labs, um, boykins. There's no telling what else. I think so. This is kind of interesting. The least amount of dogs we ever had growing up when I was a kid was 17. Wow. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Well, for background, like a good life, though. for background, too, your dad yeah. uh, owned a vet. Yeah. Owned yeah. a vet okay. here in town. Yeah. yeah. And sold it. Um, yeah. And now he's. <laughs> He's the busiest retired vet that I know. <laughs> Absolutely. He still does house calls and everything like yeah. that. Every time I talk to him, he's he's somewhere else. He's offered to come out and see Oreo and stuff time yeah. and time again. He loves making house calls. And that's one of the things I was talking to him the other day. I was like, you need to cut back. Like, <laughs> he was like, why? I love it. Yeah. And I'm still able to do it. And exactly. I'm like, yeah, that's nice, though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And he's like, I can do it as I want to. You know, I make my own schedule. You know, if I, if I want to go to the farm or if I want to go to Arkansas, I'll just... He I'm does. sorry. Yeah. He I'm does. booked. Yeah. And I know there's times like, talking to you where you just like, yeah, dad said he wasn't going out to the farm today and just show me a picture and he's out in the deer stand. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's the retired life that I want. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do today. And then yeah. I go on a three-day hunting trip to Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, Drew. Well, thank you for sitting down with us on the Fieldmaster podcast. Anything you want to shout out? Any seasons coming up? Yeah. Um, so we're not quite halfway through waterfowl season. So if you're interested in that, absolutely get out there. Like we are talking about, making sure you're properly licensed. Outdooralabama.com. You can get everything there. Um, a lot of people are like really concerned about making sure they have the right licenses. And we always tell people, call us. We're here to help. We want you to make sure that you're comfortable in the field. You know and that you have a good time, so just call us if you if you're not sure about that. So you can um, call us at our district office here two five six three five three two six three four, or get on the website there and check that out. So or I'll give you guys Drew's personal phone number. It's <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the second episode of the Fieldmaster Podcast. Um, be sure to follow us on social media at Sportsman's underscore Pride on Instagram and. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find us where all podcasts are found um, by looking us up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. Ask Alexa to play the Fieldmaster podcast. It does work. I tried it. Nice. <laughs> nice. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the second episode of the Fieldmaster podcast, and we will see you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>